Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laura Eves. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. This month Hannah and I will be interviewing Malika Kagodi. And we'll be hearing a poem from Kayla Martel Feldman recorded live at the poetry graduation book launch party. And we'll be giving you a sneak preview of our book review episode, where we'll be chatting about Christmas poems by Wendy Cope. That will be out later in the month. But first, it's going to be a bit of a strange episode because Hannah won't be here for the intro and the book club, but then I wasn't able to attend for the interview that we had, so... We are on Skeleton Staff. It is December. That's what happens in December, right? Skeleton Staff happens. People are in, people are out, people's out of offices are on. Crazy times. We're all in and out of meetings. But... We love you very, very much, and it's not your fault we're fighting. Uh, we're not fighting. It's all good. <laughs> we're not fighting. <laughs> we have great relations yes. at this time of year, as we always do, because the Yuletide season is upon us, and we're all little bundles of joy together. Yeah. Is it just me, or do you feel like everybody has just decided, fuck it, we're doing Christmas spirit now? Like, we're recording yeah. this at the end of November, and I feel like the last week, everybody I know has been just doing, nah, fuck it, Christmas, Christmas, everything's miserable, there's a new variant, Christmas. My tree went up the day before my birthday, which usually goes the day after, so or, or the week after, so it's up, it's behind me right now as we're recording. That is very exciting. Which is exciting, yeah. Uh, We've got some great baubles. The Christmas cow is my personal favourite for this year's editions, is- but we've also got the three wise dudes... And we also got the Christmas lobster. Those are our it isn't Christmas three new editions. No, exactly the Christmas lobster. Yeah. You got to be got to be specific on that. Yeah. So that's been good. I sat down to. I realised I had ten minutes of my lunch break left earlier. Sat down to put on Heart Christmas, and accidentally it was a spaceman came travelling, which is probably the worst Christmas song, <laughs> which Ooh. is a big disappointment it's like Christmas getting tickets song. for just a minute and then realizing it's an episode with giles brand oh boom terrible boom. oh worst christmas song i kind of hate mistletoe and wine oh I, yeah i mean mistletoe and wine is i loathe it it's pretty bad I just it sets my teeth on edge i don't know why i like to sing logs on the fire and kids up the tree <laughs> when i sing mistletoe and wine do you know who's he's had three christmas number ones three Mistletoe and wine isn't even the worst one. There's no accounting Saviour's Day is pretty bad. And the Millennium Prayer. Ooh. Remember the Millennium no, Prayer? And I'm I'm okay with that level of ignorance actually in my life. It was number 1 at the turn of the millennium. That that's how important it uh, was and it was the Lord's Prayer. So I'm just going to correct you on one thing because I know the Christmas number 1 in the UK for the millennium wasn't was it, it not? wasn't. It was Bob the Builder. And I know oh. this. This is one of my favourites. I know this because the guy who wrote it lived across the road from me at the time. The guy who wrote the music. The music for Bob the Builder. Uh, he also Amazing. wrote the music for Noddy. You know the Noddy, the little man, the red and yellow car. He mm-hmm. also wrote that. His name's uh-huh. Paul Joyce. And he, yeah, they used to live across the road from us when we were kids. It, yes. and I had yeah. Bob the Builder, the single, Can We Fix It? Amazing. Um, on CD singles back when that was a thing. Yeah, well, I think I think you helped Paul pay for his extension, so thanks. I think for I that. probably well, I certainly did. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, and, you know, I regret nothing. I think he beat Westlife, and he's still now. Occasionally, he gets interviewed about, it and he's like, "Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird thing that happened in my life." Yeah, I thought it was okay. Maybe it's changed by New Year. Yeah, we've gone off on a very weird tangent. Um, what have you been up to, Rebecca? Both poetry-wise and more widely in your life. So more widely in my life, I've been in India 
Mm. So yes, which is why I wasn't available to interview Malika Kagode. Very excited to hear that interview and to to edit it. It'd be a nice surprise for me in the editing process. Um, so yeah, I was in India, which was amazing. Turns out we were incredibly lucky to get out there because they've since changed the rules because of this new variant like literally the week after we got back like we wouldn't have been able to go so so that was amazing to go and see my husband's family and yeah indian culture it's very much a culture where they measure the size of their welcome by how much they're feeding you so i feel like one of those sounds like an irish yeah it's fair yes there's a lot of similarities and yeah i feel like a python that needs to just go away and digest for six months because i've eaten (laughs) so much amazing food it has been great Uh i've been made a terrible fuss of for a week and uh, yeah then suddenly i'm back here in the freezing cold and i don't really understand it welcome home yes thank you and then had a great welcome going to the uh book launch which uh the poetry poets graduation ceremony which you organized I did organise that. Yeah, how was it? Because you, <laughs> you can tell me how it was. Because I was fighting with the card reader, and we did get it working. But yeah, how was it? Was it was great as an audience member. It was great. So for anyone that doesn't know, if you haven't listened to the last episode where Laurie mentioned it approximately fifty-three times, like the good poetry promoter he is. Plug. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So this was Laurie, like many poets, launched a book during lockdown, which was a bit of a like. It's a fabulous book. You did a very good online launch, but it's a bit of a damp squib compared to the buzz you get from a live launch. So Mm -hmm. he organised for anyone that had launched a book in lockdown, a joint book launch at the Miller Pub in London Bridge last week. And it was fantastic. It was a really just lovely night. Fantastic poets, really lovely atmosphere, really good vibe. My mum came along and wouldn't stop going (laughs) on about what a great compare Laurie was. Thanks, Jean. She says you dance well, too. She was very, very taken with that. So, so yes, but no, it was, it was a really, really just lovely vibe. And yeah, you did do a great job comparing. Thanks. uh, We had a nice lineup and a nice audience, which made it easy. You know, Rick Dove, Tina Sederholm, Tim Kiley, Kayla Martell-Feldman, Beth Hartley. We had Mary Dickens, Julia Baum, Pauline Seward, Barney Ashton Bullock. It was great. Oh, and and those Stanfast. Who you can't forget because once you see them, you never forget them. (laughs) I have a feeling lots of people at that at that gig hadn't seen us done first before. Yeah. And it was a bit of a first time. I enjoy, you know, the certain poets you really enjoy people watching them first. Well, like, you, I enjoy watching people see them for the first time. Mm. So, like, my brother was there and he was, like, just, he was initially like, what is this? And by the end of it was just roaring with laughter. I feel very much the same about your beetroot poem actually i'm sure i said uh-huh. this to you before that you just see people in the audience go what the fuck is this and by the end of it they are with you they believe in beetroot they, they really believe in the power yeah they don't know um, why or what point you're making about beetroot but they're there that's right yeah i don't know what quite what point graham with stanfast was trying to make with yeah. his casio keyboard but you know it, it sounded powerful it worked it really worked no it was just it was yeah. a fabulous night and i just saw so many fun. people in 3d that i haven't seen in so mm. long and that was lovely beth hartley was talking to me beforehand mm. we went and got sushi me and kayla and beth and we were just beth beth said i don't think i've seen you in person since before the podcast started that's a very weird thought that is yeah i mean there is a before dead darlings and an after dead darlings really isn't there There is yeah <laughs> Exactly. It was very weird. But no, it was great. I think we had a really good night. It was already felt very special. And we had a lot of great, like our audience was great as well. Like you could uh, Mm. turn around and there's lots of amazing poets in the room as well. So that was really nice. And we also raised nearly 50 quid for the Burning Eye Books um, crowdfunder, which is great. So yeah, 
That was a nice bonus. <laughs> I'm quite glad I put the bucket out and suggested it to the poets now. Because, yeah. yeah, we got got a good response. So that was good. Amazing. And then the other thing I've done this month is got very depressed about... Well, not depressed, but, like, yeah, very... I have a sense of foreboding about this new variant and okay. yeah my response to it partly has been to just get really fucking Christmassy and go out and buy Christmas decorations and my other <laughs> response was to decide that I'm going to the Verve Poetry Festival next year and okay. yeah I'm making plans that's what I'm doing yeah making yeah. plans is really important yes and it feels like a very assertive thing to do after 2020 so, I find it's always good to have something to look forward yeah, to yeah exactly even pre-pandemic so yeah. mine is going to be going to awesome poetry workshops and catching up with people in in mm-hmm. Birmingham so if anybody is also planning on going let me know be awesome to see you awesome to meet up with you yeah I'm going to go and have a poetry geek out for a couple of days and what have you got booked so I've got I've got workshops with Scarlett Ward Joe Bell and Jasmine Gardosi mm-hmm. booked which I'm very excited Great. about mm-hmm. Penting are doing a special event down there oh yeah I saw that that's yeah. what she said is becoming the more inclusive that's what we said which I rather love so they're going to have an event there yeah and then just all the headline stuff as well I'm going to go see Jasmine Gardosi's show as well Dancing to Music oh you it hate. looks so good I really want to see really that really excited about that I really I, I almost booked to go and see it in Coventry <laughs> even though I was thinking I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to get there and back on a weeknight but I nearly I'm so tempted just to go to that. Yeah. So yeah, Come that's to exciting. Come with me on a Thursday night. Yeah. It'll be fine. Okay. I I'm trying to trying to save up my holiday next year for oh, some yeah, reason. Oh yeah, I wonder I wonder why that could be doing anything big. Maybe maybe in uh, July and which means I'm probably not going to go to the fringe next year Fair. and also it's not just my own wedding. It's like I've got about five others next year. Yeah, they come year, in rashes, so. I find. Yeah, yeah, they do. And particularly once there's been a lockdown and everybody's <laughs> just gone, it's, you know what? <laughs> it's been a bit make or break with a lot of people. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But then again, I work from home now, so I can take a laptop wherever I go. So. Yeah. Nice Good thing. I really want to see that show. And Jasmine's been doing the rounds online on the news in America, yeah. I think, for having performed a poem on a roller coaster. Yeah, I saw that video and it's great. It's a great idea and it's just, yes. And I think what I enjoy about it are there are moments where you're like, I'm not sure if you're putting on how uncertain you look or if you're genuinely a little fucking uncertain <laughs> because you're trying to do poetry on a roller coaster. And it's brilliant. Yeah, she's ended up on PBS in America. I know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So what have you been up to? I've been <laughs> spending uh, a long time prepping for for that gig last Wednesday, the graduation party, and then feeling ill immediately <laughs> afterwards. But I'm a bit better now, so that's good. The other thing, the other bigger thing poetry-wise was going to Zoomerang on the day before the yes. graduation party, which was a lot of fun. It was nice. So I saw a few different headliners. They had five headliners is, which was a lot an impressive number we have matt Haig, who we had we reviewed death magazine their collection a little while ago so we had them we had ingrid mclaren who was who did a song which was interesting to hear in the middle of a of a spoken word mm. night i sort but of nice. i resent poets who can sing honestly because if i could <laughs> sing I think I w- then you wouldn't be doing poetry. I, I think I would have. I would probably have found folk singing before I found poetry, okay. and I'd have turned to that. But I can't sing, and I think it's a little unfair mm-hmm. if you could do both. When we talk, when we talk to Malika yeah. later in the episode, we talk about how poets are just failed musicians. <laughs> That's a thing that you're going to hear when we get to that. Episode. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I have my my theory of of performance poetry is that there's it runs the gamut from 
people who would be folk singers to people who would be rappers mm-hmm. and, and and kind of meets yeah. in the middle that's that's yeah. my it's a very loose theory and it's open and if you're me holes. you start out being the person who who's trying to be a rapper and then end up being the person who's trying to be the folk yeah, singer yeah i mean yeah wait had neil pike who was an interesting one who did poems about black sabbath being up nazis which was amazing good. And uh, Beck Sherwood, who we've got to talk about. Bex has a pamphlet called Poetry... Hang on, let me just make sure I've definitely got it right. Yes, it is four. Poetry for cows is the name of the, <laughs> okay. of the collection. I was wondering for a second there if it was poetry about cows, because a lot of the poems were about cows. Cows see themselves reflected in modern media. Exactly. Yeah. So her, her set was entirely poems about cows or for cows, she was wearing a cow print onesie, I think. <laughs> Certainly some kind of cow print pattern. And as she intimated, if you write a collection called Poetry for Cows, people buy you cow-themed things. <laughs> I freaking love so, the commitment to that. Yeah, and the whole thing was, was, was cow-themed. Obviously the chat went wild because it was a Zoom call <laughs> with so many puns, many of which were mine. But my particular favourite was when people started moosh it. <laughs> That's amazing. Moo shit. It was was great. So many cow puns. Why should get into like Slido or something? Like, I don't know if anybody has worked in a space where, a corporate space where they use Slido. They use it at conferences and stuff. And it's so that people can be like putting messages on screens directly in conferences. And, Mm. you know, my work uses it for like big town hall meetings. So the idea is that people, that people put questions up on the board, but I wonder if you could use it to have a kind of a replica of the Zoom poetry chat going on live on a projector screen. Again, that involves more money and technology that I think is readily available in the poetry scene. But in an ideal world, that would be lovely. It would. That's right. Has there been anything else going on? Not with me. My dad told me off recently because he said he was listening to the podcast and I said I hadn't done anything that month Ooh. and he was like, you did that set in New Zealand. Now I think actually, oh. I think actually he'd listened to the recording of the set several weeks after I did it. But mm-hmm. just in case I haven't talked about doing poetry at your place in New Zealand, mm-hmm. I'm going to because I love poetry at your place. So this is obviously friend of the podcast, Rick the Most. They run mm-hmm. a fantastic poetry night Slash morning. Slash morning. If you live in the UK. <laughs> poetry event that is a, a, an online poetry night in New Zealand. So obviously people from around the world can attend. And it is just like the fucking gold standard for how to run a poetry event on Zoom. Like I always think about your fiance Amy's comment about it was a Zoom call with atmosphere. Like it's got, it's just yeah. a really nice, really nice event. And I headlined it um about a month ago now and it was fucking fantastic and i had a great time it was a lovely audience as ever yeah it was just really really lovely and so if i haven't spoken about that on the podcast yet really sorry yeah can people catch up on that yes i think so i think if you go to the uh, your place events facebook page and scroll down you should be able to find that uh, the recording of that should be on the facebook page um nice and yeah there were some fantastic open micers like it's just it's a lovely quality of event as well so yeah that Okay. Oh, also, my friend got me this collection by a poet who I'd not heard of called Andrew Sheffer, who I don't know if you've heard of. It's called Look, Mom, I'm a Poet and So Is My Cat. (laughs) And it's great. I haven't read it all yet, but what I've read so far is pretty good. This is a poem, for example, called Game Over. Don't try to explain Fortnite to me. I don't care. (laughs) That's one. 
men's magazine sartorial advice columnist on his final day of the on the job is the name of this poem and it goes any shirt is a no iron shirt if you just don't care <laughs> poems like that i've been i've i've not read it but i flicked through it and that made me laugh excellent right in that case shall we do an interview or shall you do an interview we shall and I shall, shall i do an interview yeah. shall i shall i do that while you uh, step into your other meeting, Rebecca, yeah. <laughs> and I'll go in the conference room with Hannah. Yeah, and we'll get the we'll get the the candidate in, which I believe this month is Malaga Kagode, and we'll have an interview with her. I love that we're creating this fictional Dead Darlings Tower. Well, I Dead like Darlings the idea HQ. that we're yeah, I like the idea that we're somehow on skeleton staff, and we <laughs> we do have we do have an office space, yeah. and yeah, we're getting to the end of the year. The Quarter four financials are terrible. <laughs> Turns out it's cost us money to make this podcast. Casper mattresses, are you listening? It does cost us money. Right, let's do an interview. This month's interview is with Malika Kagode. Malika Kagode is a writer, performer, and producer. She's appeared on stages at a number of festivals and literary events, including WOMAD and the Edinburgh Book Festival. She has published two collections of Burning Eye Books, and the playtext of her debut theatre show, Outlier, is published by Salamander Street. An autobiographical gig theatre show created with prog rock band Jackabol, Outlier was the first piece of new writing to appear on the Bristol Old Vic's main stage in 2021. In addition to her own writing, Malika is a poetry mentor and workshop leader. She's the founder and lead producer of Milk Poetry, an organisation that produces innovative spoken word events in a supportive environment. Outside of poetry, she's passionate about writing on the themes of cinema, culture and race. Malika also studies film and has worked as a programme selector for Encounters Film Festival and Talon Black Nights. Her debut short poetry film, Wide as the Sea, an exploration of millennial queer culture, was made over the 2021 lockdown on a £10 budget. It's been shown at various online events, including Queer Vision's Sofa Club. She's excited to continue exploring genre, form, and the power of the written word made visual. So welcome, Malika Kagode. Hello. Hey. (laughs) Malika, would you like to share a poem with our listeners? Yes, of course I will. Um, So I'm going to read a poem, actually, which is from Wide as the Sea. Um, And yeah, I thought I'd pick this one because it it kind of encapsulates a lot of what I focus my writing around, sort of friendship, identity, um, with a big heaping dose of nostalgia, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) sometimes misplaced nostalgia. Um, This poem's called City by the Sea. There are so many stories I haven't told. So many faces with no names attached, whose voices are abstract in my head. But for a pocket of time, they were the people I saw the most. Strange how those who build you when you're young just by being physical beings in your life fall away. How quickly we lose memories, conversations become concepts rather than words. I remember some of the best nights of my life, but not what was said in them. I love how, if we're lucky, we find each other. Hodgepodge influence, stories scarcely linked, held together by something elastic and immutable, something that loosens the bolts in your shoulders so that immaculately made-up boys bought drinks for quiet, make-upless girls and no questions were needed. In Plymouth, we go to the gay pubs and make noise. Squidge down the beer-soaked carpets with our boots and brogues, dance until the older ones at the bar bought us bright blue pitchers of liquid. 
They never asked for our time, just watched rising glasses with a cheers and a we-could-never-be-quite-so-loud smile. Mm -hmm. But I saw the other side too. The freshly divorced men in their 40s and 50s with fancy cars and kids they couldn't see, whose empty houses felt like artefacts of war. Men who were electric with anger, all sinew and bone, who lived off KFC and ready meals, mm -hmm. nothing on their walls but blue tax stains, phones constantly buzzing with the unsaved numbers of the boys looking to be found. There are so many stories I haven't told, so many I can't tell, so many secrets, so much sadness, so many faces lost to the swirl of time but I do remember how it felt to belong and to kiss, to laugh, to feel a small part of something huge. I remember the sweet smell of dark rooms. I remember everything I thought I knew being reassembled so gently. I remember how cold sea air could be dangerous and comforting and intoxicating and sobering. I remember how colorful it all was how dramatic everything felt. I remember how some people never came back to the pub, how our friends would move to cities and eventually we did too. I remember how softly we handled each other, how smoothly sexuality melted into the moulds we made and how I was taught to hold others in this city by the sea hmm. that held me. Ooh. Ooh. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Thank you. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> it's really lovely to hear that kind of standing by itself. I've only seen, I've only heard it as part of the film, so it's <laughs> interesting hearing it in a different setting. Thank you. So the question <laughs> that we kick off, uh, or try to kick off uh, a lot of these interviews with, is how did you first get into poetry? How did you discover it? What was your first experiences? Yeah, um, so I poetry has kind of always been in my life. I was pretty lucky in that way. Like my mum was really into poetry. I grew up in a house with lots of books. Mm -hmm. We didn't have much else, but we had lots of books. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just loved um, silly poems. Uh, like I had lots of tapes as well. And I remember one of the first kind of Thing, like pieces of poetry or like poetry things that really lodged in my brain as I had uh, this big blue book called Poems for the Very Young um, which uh, was like assembled by Michael Rosen mm. I feel like so many of us yeah. like especially so many of us sort of millennial people have like Michael Rosen as <laughs> the person who like you know kicked us off when we were young yeah. and uh yeah it was an amazing book it had michael rosen stuff it also had some like spike milligan things mm -hmm. lots of um yeah little rhyming rhymey things and cute poems i also read a lot of roald dahl i had some like the revolting rhymes yes. book them. <laughs> and yeah so lots of that in my childhood had kind of set, already put in a good foundation to love words and poetry and like playing around with those sorts of things uh -huh. um and then later on like as I got older I basically always really wanted to be a musician I grew up mm. in a quite a musicy house uh but I didn't have 
the patience <laughs> to, to fully learn an instrument. This is so relatable. And, uh, I just kind of wanted to be great straight away. Uh-huh. Which is, yeah. <laughs> I think both I've me and Hannah this. are going, yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> sure, this is so many spoken word poets and so many of them are like, well, if I could sing, yeah. <laughs> it would never have happened. Um, but yeah, so I... I did that, like I learned the ukulele, and I have like base level knowledge of a few instruments, but it just took too long. It takes so long to be good at music. <laughs> mm. um, and <laughs> I started going to Whereas festivals. Whereas being, being good at poetry, you're just clicking oh, fingers and you're there. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started going to festivals um, as a teenager and started seeing more poetry happening at festivals. Like mm. there was this. Um, there weren't like poetry tents at this stage, but there were poets sort of popping up between acts and yeah. they'd often be like open mics where poets would come up. And I remember seeing people at festivals. I remember seeing Benjamin Zephaniah and I remember seeing Disraeli and the Small Gods. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do that. Um, so I wrote some absolutely terrible poems <laughs> and did some strange open mics where I was always the youngest person there yeah (laughs) um but I just fell in love with it from then and there was something about you know fusing this musicality of language and performing which just really got me hooked and uh yeah and I was I was away with it I just carried on and I I felt I feel like I got in on it in quite quite a good time Mm -hmm. because Mm. after a couple of years of kind of doing poetry when it was still obscure it started to build up and now yeah. we have the scene that we have now which yeah like you guys know it just suddenly exploded it seems it a few years ago <laughs> but i was definitely on the cusp of that you were there before, before it was cool explosion yeah exactly. maybe even part of i was doing the terrible explosion. gigs and terrible pubs when no one wanted to hear of us <laughs> Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I feel like, yeah, I feel like an, an elder, even though I'm still pretty young. <laughs> I think that um, that through line of red revolting rhymes as a child, then wanted to be a musician, but didn't have the patience for an instrument, ended up writing. <laughs> I feel like these are like hard relate moments for yeah. for us and probably for <laughs> anybody listening to this podcast, I imagine. <laughs> has fallen into poetry it's yeah. funny <laughs> i was going to suggest revolting rhymes for our book club this month and then uh, because it's going to be the december episode we're going to do a christmas book instead but it's, mm. that's a shame <laughs> oh well do it in we'll, the new year exactly we'll do it we'll <laughs> kick off the new year maybe with it you mentioned starting young um i can't remember what year it was that we first met each other at the edinburgh fringe but i remember that you were very impressive and notably young <laughs> when you were sort of taking part in um other voices that Faye Roberts runs like when did you when Mm. did you come into it I feel like that was what 2015 maybe something like that um I think it's a weird one because I started doing poetry when I was still living in Devon um and I want to say about 2011 Mm. was when I first started 2010 2011 yeah uh and then it was very much just a hobby yeah. you know it didn't even cross my mind that it could be a career path I was just kind of dabbling in it mm. um, and it wasn't really until I moved to Bristol in 2014 where it took over my life a little <laughs> bit more and um, <clears throat> I started you know running workshops and um, being more enmeshed in the poetry world and just became aware that you know mm. the poetry world even existed and was much bigger than I thought it had been yeah um, 
so yeah, I think about 20, 2010 I started writing, 2011 I did my first what, open mic probably. What ages were you and, in that? Yeah, 2014 when I started taking it seriously. <laughs> oh god, now you're, now you're Sorry. testing me. <laughs> I'm trying to remember my, my own age. Mother's 20, maiden name. 19? 19? Passport, yeah. 19? Is that 19. right? Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Your projects have kind of kept... They've kept a kind of brief of being very kind of mixed media and, di- and different kind of disciplines than the ones that I've kind of seen. Like, obviously, even within the last kind of few months, you've had my like Outlier, which has obviously been a theatre production with a live band. Why Does the Sea was a poetry film earlier this year. Can you tell us a bit about how you kind of see the relationship between your poetry and those other kinds of media that you're working in? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I, I love to collaborate with people. I think that's a big part of that. Um, it's it's tricky to answer this without sounding a bit emo, but I'm going to try because <laughs> I'm very happy. It. Channel, <laughs> channel like... your my chemical romance. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I think I, especially over the lockdown over the last couple of years, hmm. I've really um, come to terms <laughs> with the fact that I'm never going to be the best writer. I'm never going to be the best poet. Like, I have massive amounts of respect for people who can, like, distill things down and write these really clever poems. Um, but it's just not what, not the place that I'm coming from. And for a long time, I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm never going to be respected in the same way some people are. Hmm. I'm never going to be in those, like, higher echelons of poetry royalty or that kind of spoken word to page poet kind of pipeline that a lot of people seem to be aiming for and when they get it they're like props to them but I, I'm just not that kind of poet mm. and I so I spent a long time thinking about well what kind of poet am I and uh, <clears throat> is that word poet like everything that can encompass what I want to what I want to create mm. what I want to do is is make things that inspire me and hope that that kind of travels through and that and the joy and pleasure of creating stuff can be transferred to the viewer or the reader, mm-hmm. whoever is experiencing it. So I think that's kind of what has solidified to me that I, I can branch out and play around with mixed media and, and work with other artists and really like understand that I have my limits and I have my skills and other people have different div- limits and different skills. So let's like get together and see what happens when we when we clap them <laughs> up, you know. Um, and that's been a really huge part of my practice, and it it's really uh, it feels really healthy. <laughs> and rather than sort of mourning this amazing respected poet that I could be, maybe I can just maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I can branch out and be more expressive and not feel like I'm trapped in a box, like. I can play around with this and maybe make something over here with someone else. Um, Mm. It's nice. And I think it's a really, I think anyone who is interested in, in doing that should just go for it. You know, Mm. it's interesting. um, I watched why does the sea earlier in the year with my partner and they were just kind of like, whoa, okay, I didn't even know a poetry film was a thing mm-hmm. afterwards, let alone that it was like a good thing that they enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> like, away being like, I was thinking maybe I would duck out of the gig when the poetry film started, but actually like that was one of the most interesting parts of that gig was seeing something kind of a bit different for mm. them, I think. 
That's great. Yeah, I think it's it's nice, isn't it, to mix things up. And I uh, so when I made Wider to See, it was full on lockdown. Yeah, and I was like, we're doing these Zoom gigs, and we're um, approaching poetry in a different way, and we're consuming media in a different way. Mm. And I just wanted to play around a little bit with. <clears throat> I just wanted to play around a little bit with what what that means and yeah. how we you know interact with it. Um, I also you know I I studied film mm. and film is another big passion of mine so I wanted to yeah see what I could do just locked in my flat mm. <laughs> <laughs> what we could create and I really love uh, and have lots of respect for the DIY scene the punk scene it's not a community that I'm part of myself but I have lots of friends in that community and I just mm. think that ethos is great and I think that um, a lot of spoken word like it's based in that ethos as well and I kind of yeah. wanted to embrace that a little bit and yeah have have some fun I think if you have a £10 budget you can definitely call it DIY I oh, think God, you can yeah. definitely say part, part <laughs> yeah. of that community yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 for sure <laughs> and I think there's a lot to be said for the I've, the the angle you've approached it at is really interesting um, I think possibly one of the reasons I've never been particularly good at collaborations I've tried to dabble and never really been that good at is I'm just so not used to sharing it. But I think like that our band was great, Hannah. We were just, excellent. We never My it, timing sucks. It to anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Laurie is actually one of the best musical accompanists. I've I've tried with like three different people or groups of people, and Laurie is bloody excellent on guitar, um, and you know paces it beautifully. For any, it's my musical abilities that let me down. Um, but I don't know. I've I've never thought of it in terms of I think there is that kind of the way a lot of the poetry scene is structured around for example slams there is a hierarchy and or a winning <laughs> aspect and I think that sort of theatre and more mm. collaborative forms if you're not trying to win <laughs> and I don't think many poets like approach it very competitively <laughs> but I think there's a lot to be said for approaching it in a completely different us together what can we make yeah, yeah. for sure it's, definitely that's a much more open creative space in some ways and like I you know don't get me wrong I think slams are great I definitely learned a lot from doing slams like earlier on in my career Mm. and I it's interesting as well because I feel like slams are dying out a little bit because the culture of poetry is changing and people Mm. definitely want there's more of a want for open mics and Mm. less sort of quote-unquote judgmental spaces yeah, and I, I definitely see why that is but I think there's such value in slamming because it just teaches you how to engage with an audience uh, mm. in an active way mm. and it teaches you to le- be less precious about your work and I think that is important as well um, I love poetry, I love performance I love words and I think there's huge huge value in in what we create but at the same time, I think it's healthy and good to be like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, this is my life. Like, my whole, <laughs> my career is writing poems. Yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's good to not be precious. And, and you can hold both of those things, you know. Yeah. You can you can be like, this is what I do. It's important and it's worthy. Um, but also it's kind of ridiculous and silly and I think mm. <laughs> the best poets are the people who can hold those two things yeah. really lightly and uh, have fun with it and you know grow their talent grow their skill um, and also be able to 
yeah, hold it all lightly. Mm, interesting. You've been doing this um, work with Radio 4 on the one-to-one series about kind of reinvention. Um, I wondered if, wondered if you could tell us a bit about that. It'd be interesting to know kind of what draws you to that theme of reinvention. Yeah, of course. So I did a couple of episodes of one-to-one, uh, mm. which is a Radio 4 series, which um, basically two people have a sit down and have a conversation on a, on a theme. Um, so I chose a theme of reinvention and I spoke to a couple of people. I spoke to Paul Cowley and Polly Meach and yeah, the, the show is literally just a conversation. You know, I did an introduction. The person who's leading the conversation does a little introduction as to their connection with the theme and mm. then it's just a chat. Um, lo- a long chat that's condensed into 14 minutes. So those editors are really <laughs> doing bits, like especially the the interview that I did with Polly, the second episode. Um, we could have gone on for hours, like. So yeah, the, the editor did an amazing job. <laughs> I listened to that. That was tight. <laughs> they yeah. must have done a good job. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. So when when Ready for approached me to do these one to one series, I listened to a few uh, Anna Freeman, who's a well, was a poet, but is more of a novelist mm. now. Um, has always been a novelist, but yeah, she's kind of geared mostly just towards writing and teaching. Don't think she does much poetry anymore. Mm. Um, but I listened to her series, and it was it was wicked. So I uh, chose reinvention because it's something that I've always been drawn to. Like narratives around reinvention, I find really fascinating. Some of my favourite pieces of media. Uh, about reinvention like my favorite film is cabaret Mm -hmm. and that entire film is about people you know coming to berlin as this bohemian free and easy place at a time when huge change is happening Mm. and you know the outward influence that prevents you from reinventing yourself and yeah and i think a big part of that as well is that i i got this one-to-one gig off the back of my show outlier which Mm. is an autobiographical show and that is about the time that I moved from Devon to Bristol, um, which in my mind was a huge reinvention for me. Like I was very sad in Devon. I was mm. in a really uh, toxic position in a bad relationship, um, lots of drugs, lots of violence in my life. And mm. I made the decision to, to leave that. It was the only decision in my mind that, I, that was possible for me when I came to Bristol I had the chance to start afresh and be the person that I wanted to be rather than the one that I felt had already been written and Mm. dragged down Um, so yeah for me that was a reinvention and I look at through the process of doing my show I was able to sit again with that younger version of myself and realise how much I've changed and how much I've done Mm. and I wanted to talk to people who've gone through some sort of reinvention that was different to mine um, but still just as or even more sort of moving or or momentous for them yeah do you think your thoughts of what reinvention means have been reinvented through those conversations and through doing the show have you kind of has your thinking on it evolved at all do you think yeah it was it was interesting when I think um, what was great I think is that people didn't really think of themselves as reinvented until 
they had the opportunity to sit down and really reflect. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think all of us, you know, we're just moving through our lives. Um, the, the choices we make, often we just have to do it. Um, and it's it's this thing I think that came up with, with both of the interviewees was, is this reinvention or is it just evolution? Mm. Is this sort of, is this journey that I've been on um, was that always bound to happen and the person that I am at the end the person that I am now they were always there it's just sort of a process of uncovering that or is it true reinvention do you mm. is there really a point in which you change and become someone new um, yeah it was interesting to to chat to people and just to give them that space to really mm. consider themselves and consider their journeys yeah you know I think us as poets as writers we do that a lot yeah <laughs> we're like quite self-centered sometimes <laughs> in how in how, how we, we you? you know <laughs> flick through our lives to, <laughs> <laughs> to like bring out the things that we really want to focus on and, hmm. and celebrate or you know question um but a lot of people they ne- they they never really do that they just sort of keep on straight looking ahead hmm. and uh it's nice to to give someone else that that view of themselves to realize how far they've come I, I think the process of reflecting that back having someone else see and acknowledge whoa that was a big thing you went through whoa that's a big change you've made like that that itself in itself mm. is huge definitely that idea of is it evolving or is it kind of finding a version of yourself that's already been there I've heard someone before say that kind of reinvention is sort of you're a big block of marble and there's a there's a sculpture in there somewhere and you're just peeling off more of the of the stone rather than kind of adding new bits to to yourself when you're kind of changing and reinventing and I yeah think that's, that's how, interesting kind of how I think about it do you do you agree with that do you think I think so I think I don't know like uh, you, you guys can both jump in and <laughs> tell me what you think afterwards but I, I I kind of see that like when you I've had a few moments certainly where they've been kind of points in your life that are reinventions and you're like okay I'm definitely in a in a moment of change here but you kind of always come out the other end or I do kind of feeling like oh I know myself a bit better now and it was always there I guess but I just didn't know what was underneath I guess yeah yeah I guess it's like everything happens and chips away in one way or the other and I guess it's different tools for different things Mm. (laughs) I guess like you could have made a decision and if you had made a different decision that would have shaped you differently Mm. but yeah I I can see I can definitely see that yeah I feel like there's a lot of things I probably knew or had the correct instinct for but it took me ages to have the experience or the vocabulary to then yeah <laughs> to then be to to actually say it out loud and or be able to express it to others or act on it in a way that yeah yeah mm. definitely that's something that's really um i really love about running workshops mm. you know especially when you run workshops with non-poets yeah uh gi- yeah giving them that space to reflect on on their words on their brain on their history whatever it is that they're drawn to write about um, can be really lush, really empowering for both mm. of you. You know, to is one of the most special things ever. I think when you're working with somebody who's never written before, yeah, and 
they sit down and write something about their lives and are clearly really proud of it uh, mm. it's great and how do you kind of get people going do you think do you have any particular tactics to get them to to try and um try and start them off in a in a workshop for people who are particularly non-writers yeah it's a it can be really tricky sometimes um so i've done workshops with like poets or people who are already interested in writing and they're usually pretty keen you know you give them a free write and it's like fine (laughs) (laughs) they're already there and they're prepped but for people who are uh, more resistant people who may be a bit shy or nervous about writing Mm. I think a a big thing for me is about um, communication before Mm. before you even put pen to paper just to open up that space and make it feel really safe Um, I know safe space now has such weird connotations but mm. <laughs> like it's a good thing to create a safe space you know yes <laughs> to be able to communicate to be able to just be very grounded and and chat and yeah. uh so that's that's where i'm usually coming from i think it's good to like just converse for a little bit about ourselves about mm. the stuff that we want to write about what we have done that day even just going yeah. around a circle and talking about you know what was your journey here like that kind of thing it's just relaxing. I'm definitely somebody who uh, kind of hates like drama games and <laughs> things where I have to join in. Like I'm a proper introvert myself, so I'd uh-huh. never want to put someone in a position where they come to a workshop, then immediately they're like put on the spot of like, oh, two truths and a lie. <laughs> yeah, because like, I might like I'm imaginative, but as soon as someone says two truths and a lie, my brain is just like what uh, i don't yeah. know anything about myself <laughs> um so yeah just having a chat like making it really relaxed and really easy um i also do lots of workshops and like mentoring with um like one-on-one with people hmm. like vulnerable people and things like that and for those kind of workshops sometimes you don't even need to write you know sometimes that person just needs a consistent person to talk to once a week and you might write like you might do a five-week course with somebody like that and mm. you write two poems, but that's kind of enough. The most yeah. important thing was just having that consistency mm. um, and that space to just chat and explore something a bit deeper. Mm. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so following on from that, I'm going to ask the question we usually ask towards the end of the interview, which is, do you have any writing advice or tips that you might like to share with um, our listeners? Anything that's helped you with your writing in the past? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think that uh, something that really inspires me, I'm kind of jumping off with that collaboration point and the multimedia mm. point, is that the inspiration to write can come from literally anywhere. And it's it's great if you read lots of poems and get inspired by poems I think that writing poems like finding something on Instagram that really inspires you and writing something with that form is really great and really fun Mm. Um, but also like write in response to other kinds of media just kind of pick a film that you've been meaning to watch for ages um, and write in response to a character or write a poem from the lead character or maybe not even watch the film maybe just look at some stills and write a poem from that still Mm. you know I think um yeah mixing up the media uh as your jumping off point for the poem can be really helpful um 
and yeah just a really good prompt uh same with music you know like pick a little phrase of music and write something in response to that uh yeah i think prompts i think sometimes when we write a lot we think that we should be able to just sit down and bash out a poem Mm-hmm. and forget to do prompts you know we bring yeah. props to workshops basically the things that we do in workshops to other, for yeah. other people we should just do for ourselves that <laughs> <laughs> we can forget to do that sometimes we're like oh yeah here's some great writing advice for you guys but yeah we don't then follow that advice ourselves <laughs> definitely yeah <laughs> <laughs> for sure is there anything that you want to plug well i guess the main thing is uh that my show Outlier has a future life, um, which is in the works at the moment. I can't share many details, Ooh, but that's exciting. yeah, do do look out for Outlier because um, yeah, we're we're hopefully going to be doing stuff in the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. The playtext is available to buy on my website, and fifty percent of the proceeds go to Checkpoint, which is a charity um, based in the southwest, which helps young nice. people aged 8 to 18 uh, who have gone through drug and alcohol abuse or have homelessness issues either mm. themselves or their family so yeah that's on my website mm-hmm. cool excellent thank you very much for joining us Malaika um, and I'm excited to see where Outlier goes in the future yeah, yeah thanks for having me thank you so much this month's book is Christmas Poems by Wendy Cope chosen by Laurie Laurie, I think I can guess but why did you choose this book? It's December (laughs) is the reason I chose this book and frankly I thought I just want a nice cosy little Christmassy collection to finish up the year this is a collection of poems by Wendy Cope who is one of the my favourite writers of all, I think. And this is not a collection in the sense of Wendy Cope sat down and wrote it. It's a compilation of various poems from different collections that were brought together into this nice edition that came out, I think, a couple of years ago on Faber and Faber. Uh, it's like if somebody made an album of all of Cliff Richard's Christmas hits, except yeah. infinitely better because Cliff Richard's Christmas yeah. hits are shit. Also, that would just be a maxi single, as, as <laughs> it would have been called back in the day. Um, I mean, honestly, that sounds like a period product, tracks. frankly, but okay. Mm-hmm. We're getting sidetracked by Cliff yeah, Richard we are, again. We are. What is he that doing was a callback. to us? That was a callback to the main episode. If you want to know what we're going on about, go back and listen to the main episode. Anyway, yeah. what was I saying? You were saying um, it's a nice little collection. It's a nice little Christmassy collection. Two years ago, I was in Foils in Charing Cross. That was a taster for our book club mini episode, which will be out later this month, wherever you get your podcasts. And as you can hear, we'll be talking about Christmas poems by Wendy Cope. So if you want to read it and listen along, if you have any opinions about it, do tweet us, do let us know. You can find us at Dead Darlings Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Dead Darlings Podcast on Facebook. You can also email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. This is our Christmas thing this year. We're not really doing a Christmas um, episode or a yep. stocking like we did last year. I think we... The, frankly, because we've got good interviews. We've got good interviews. I also just <laughs> don't have the fucking up. energy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I looked at it and just went, oh, really? Like, yeah, because I loved doing the Christmas yeah. stocking last year and the, the advent calendar. It was fucking brilliant. Yeah, it was a lot of, a lot it of did end up being a lot of work. You. And I just kind of realized we were coming into December and my brain just went, oh, no, no, no. no. 
we've got good we've got good we interviews have. and we've got you know our next three interviewees lined yeah. up which is unusual but in a good yeah. way so um, our next interview is pete bearder which we're super excited the about. interview after that that is super exciting it's basically confirmed but i don't want to jinx anything so yeah so keep listening yeah, keep listening though because it's going to be good i'm so excited that this person wants to be on the show so yeah yeah definitely now it'd usually be time for the notice board which is a section where we spotlight 10 or so opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication but frankly guys it's the christmas episode and we're gonna sack it, santa sack it off we're gonna santa <laughs> sack it off and not really do it this month because we would rather raise a little glass of non-alcoholic sherry or alcoholic sherry if that's your tipple but Rebecca wants to talk about something that's going on, which I think is the Verve Poetry Festival. Yes, indeed. So the Verve Poetry Festival is running from the 16th to 20th of February 2022. And the reason I'm talking about this is because uh, tickets went on sale this week for their different lineup of events. And they've just got some fantastic events. If you think you might be interested in that, go and have a look on their website because stuff does sell out. Like I was, I ended up in a queue on their website for stuff at work. Wow. Like, yeah, stuff will sell out. And it is, it is just there's just some fantastic people are going to be there and i'm going to be there like you know not not presenting or doing anything but just like going to the workshops and watching stuff and chatting to people so yeah come join me it's going to be fun so there's that also we got the genesis slam which is going to be on the 9th of december which is exciting it's not the big grand slam it usually is yeah it seems to have temporarily moved itself from the first thursday of the month to the second i don't know if that's to do with the the cinema and, and the timings and stuff like that but it's still a great event yeah there's normally they have is the final on the on the december but they're going to because this year has been so disrupted they're going to have a mega final in 2022 so this is just a normal yeah. slam but they're going to have um raffles there will be, there will a, be raffle. a raffle it's going to be a good one that and then of course uh, the fundraisers that we've mentioned in previous episodes of the podcast are still open as yes. well so for burning eye books which is a fantastic indie publisher that is really struggling at the moment and for spoken word london which again fantastic event and is is, is also struggling so you can find uh, spoken word london on facebook and uh, you can find burning eye books at it's it's coffee okay. which is ko fi dot com stroke burning eye books so yeah do if you've got some change if you fancy supporting them you know bung in some money or if you're in the case of burning eye books go buy some poetry books that's also go great buy too. some books yeah. um cool sure you can find me laurie eaves on facebook and instagram at laurie eaves poet or on twitter at mr leaves my book biceps is out on burning eye books or in brick red cassette form on buried vinyl you can pick up both versions from my website, laurieeves.com, which is L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S.com, and stream the audio version of that book wherever you stream audio. You can find our erstwhile co-host, Hannah Hutzber at Hannah... Hannah! Uh... Hannah, are you done yet? <laughs> are you... Are you done? Oh, no. No, she's hidden behind. No, the filing she's... cabinet's fallen on her. That's the... She seems to still be in the Zoom meeting. It's... Oh, it could be yeah. a while. So she is Hannah underscore Hutzper on Twitter and uh, I believe on Instagram as well. And she runs Insight, which is a monthly poetry spoken word night for uh, the queer community. Yep. So Insight is like as in to incite a riot. To incite yes. a riot, not insight as in. To see. Wow, that poem really gave me some insight. Yes. And I want to tell you all about it. It sucks when you have to explain perfectly good puns so people can find things, right? But you should be able to find that on Facebook if you search for Insight. Um, mm-hmm. 
you can find me on Twitter uh, at Rebecca K. Cooney, on Instagram as any name but Becky. My website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com. My Facebook is Rebecca Cooney-Poet. And at some point I will fucking put something on my TikTok. I haven't yet. Thanks to everybody who has followed me on that so far in, in anticipation. So yeah, um, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram as at DeadDarlingsPod, Facebook as DeadDarlingsPodcast, and you can email us at DeadDarlingsPodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to help us spread the word. It really does help people with algorithms and all that shit, particularly Apple Podcasts, I believe is the place. That'd be really, really helpful. Before we share Kayla's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to her for letting us showcase her work. Thank you to my co-hosts Laurie and Hannah, to Texas Radio for our theme music, to Malika Kagode for joining us, and to you for listening. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and a non-denominational Yay. holiday. Happy Festivus, yes. Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy whatever you celebrate. Yeah. Just, just enjoy yourselves. It's been a miserable year. We don't know what the enjoyment is going to look like at this point, but enjoy it. Stay safe, stay strong. Take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye. This is Kayla Martell-Feldman from her new book, Tikva. And that's available from kaylatmf.bigcartel.com. This is called A Little Life, which is the title of another book by Hanya Yanagihara, which is the saddest book I've ever read in my entire life, but it's really good. Um, I wrote this to my friend Karen, who passed away in an accident. Um... So if you don't want to listen to a story about someone dying young, feel free to not listen to it. That's okay. I tell stories for a living. She saves lives for a living. I can say that storytelling is life-saving, but she spent four hours resuscitating a hamster with a hairdryer once, felt her physically come back to life, and man, that's a rush I can't begin to imagine. A little life coming back. When our dog was dying, she could smell it. She knew before I did. I clung to him as long as I could, desperate to keep him with me, keep him running, walking, until the day I carried him to her surgery and she held him as he went. But when our friend died, neither of us could explain it. All her knowledge and expertise, every minute of her studies and practice, suddenly useless. And we held each other and howled through that incalculable loss. When our friend died, our dog was in his last days. He wandered the house, searching for the source of the trauma. He limped from room to room on arthritic legs, never settling, searching every corner for the unseen villain, his his low whine the only constant as we went from howls to silence. On Christmas Eve, he gave up his search and shat all over the living room carpet. We made our home a haven for everyone longing for our friend made a space for telling stories. Stories of her. Our dog had a little life. A little life of running and walking and treats, and more snuggles than he could handle. His little life was full of love, but not much else. Our friend, though, she swallowed the world. That's what her dad says. She swallowed the world. We buried her beside her grandmother 3,000 miles away. I heard stories at her funeral that I'd never heard before, and I told them some of mine. About the time in Sicily, when she swam out to some rocks with me, because she knew I was a weak swimmer, but she didn't want me to feel left out. About the time she ran out in a thunderstorm, 20 minutes out of her way to bring us chocolate because we were sad. About the book she left me, the inscription, 
I am forever with you. Our dog died the day after Boxing Day. His kidneys had stopped working. When your kidneys stop working, there is nothing filtering the toxins from your body, so they build up and make your breath smell like ammonia. The stench is unbearable. Our house smelled of death long after he stopped breathing. I survived his death because she saved lives for a living. She knew how to warn you, how to explain him. He died in the arms of someone who loved him. Our friend died 11 days earlier. A bus hit a car and a tiny, insignificant little aneurysm flooded her brain with blood before she knew what hit her. No warning. No one to expect. But we survived her. We survived with stories. Stories of her and how, in the little life she was given, she swallowed the world. Yes.